0: A number of years ago now, more than I'd like to say, as part of my seminary education, I was required to spend a summer doing clinical pastoral education, commonly known as CPE, with which Bonnie is very familiar. This was chaplaincy training, and I did mine at Bronson Hospital, a level one trauma unit in Kalamazoo, Michigan. It was an exceptional program through which I learned much about ministry challenged at times beyond where I'd ever thought I could go. One of the challenges I faced while there was praying with hospital patients or family members who were in crisis. I was encouraged by my CPE supervisors to try to find a way to do this that would allow me to maintain integrity with my own theological beliefs while still meeting the needs of people who might differ widely from me in their own religious practice, and most of them did. Maintaining my theological integrity, however, was not as difficult as it might seem. I suspect that it may, in fact, have been easier for me to set aside my liberal theology in order to deal with the conservative or fundamentalist believers than it might have been for my religiously conservative colleagues in the program to set aside their beliefs to deal with re- religious liberals or non-believers. This is because as drawn as I might have been to try to enlighten folks I was serving, I was not charged by my church to do so. I was not compelled by my religious tradition to witness or to attempt to save the immortal souls of my patients, their families, or the hospital staff who occasionally needed my service as well. To the contrary, my tradition, the Unitarian Universalist tradition, instead compelled me to honor the individual spiritual journeys, and I was more or less able to do that fairly easily. I was more or less able to set aside that which I embraced spiritually in order to try to meet those I was called to serve within the theological environment they inhabited. Perhaps live out would be a better term than set aside. I was able to live out that which I embraced, the individual search for truth, by meeting people within their, the religious framework that gave their life meaning. This is not to say it was easy. There was much to invite struggle for the religious progressive doing chaplaincy in a conservative Midwest hospital. I had a hard time dealing with those, usually family members, who believed their loved one was sick or in, injured as punishment for sin committed either by the patient or the family member. I had a hard time dealing with members of a large extended family who were certain and frantically so that their sick relative was demon-possessed rather than physically ill. I had a hard time praying with those who wanted prayer, and surprisingly, I had a hard time dealing with those for whom prayer carried little meaning, when in the most traumatic of circumstances, it seemed there was little else to offer. It is the latter two situations I would like to address today, praying with those who wanted prayer and not praying with those who didn't want prayer, because all of that so informed my own spiritual perspective. The first was easier to sort through intellectually, just how I was going to pray relatively traditionally without going past the point where I was uttering words I simply could not countenance. This mainly had to do, for me, with how to begin and end the prayer. In ending the prayer, I knew that I did not want to say in the name of Jesus. That was just too counter to what I believe. Uh, And I can talk about that further, although I'm not going to this morning. Um, Instead, I determined to pray in the name of all that is holy, as I do now when asked to do public prayer. That prayer ending might have been an issue for those who were not too frightened or hurting to question it, but I found that no one ever did. Perhaps all that is holy was broad enough that they could, under the circumstances, wrestle Jesus into the midst of it, which is what I believe. Beginning the prayer and determining to whom to address it was more of a challenge. I thought about all of those ways Unitarian Universalists begin prayer when either personally drawn or called upon to do so, and to whom they address the words, universal spirit, source of our being, great mystery, infinite wonder. But all of those names seem potentially arcane or otherwise inadequate to the task at hand. I knew that those who would be asking for prayer would be asking for prayer to a deity, and most of them understood that deity in very personal terms, God, Father, Lord. I believed I was there to serve these patients and held that belief inviolate. So I wanted to find a way to address the deity whose comfort they were asking me to invoke. Of the three common terms, God, Father, Lord, God felt the least uncomfortable to me, so that's what I leaned toward using. Then came the question of the salutation. I was not comfortable with dear God, as though I were beginning a lengthy written correspondence with an intimate friend, or worse, expressing a mild oath at some small abomination. I didn't want to begin with, hi God, (laughs) too casual nor did I want to begin with just God, too abrupt. Now, as I tell you this, I must confess that these were, of course, the difficulties for me long before I began my chaplaincy training at Bronson Hospital. My personal prayer, when it is specific and intentional, did then and still does revolve around the use of affirmations, because I believe we tend to draw to us that which we think about. I use affirmations such as, peace infuses the world. Unity enfolds our planet. Or more personally, I am calm and focused. I can think when I'm scared, and so forth. If I want to give it extra punch, though, I often ask for help with these affirmations. Help me stay calm and focused. Help unity to enfold the world. And with that we get into the whole question of from whom am I asking help. But I am fortunate in that regard I don't have to have an answer to that. I think the great mystery, another term for God, the great mystery is unknowable and I like it that way. The prayer lives in the the prayer lives in the uttering of our words rather than the conundrum regarding to whom we are saying them. It is, in the uttering of our words, the fact that we are saying them. Or as Anne Lamott says, it is the O that matters more than the my or God. But I did need verbiage with which to serve that summer at Bronson Hospital, and I knew I would need it beyond as well, so I pondered it at some length. I had finally more or less comfortably selected the name I thought I would use, God, but was still struggling with the salutation. Dear God, great God, hi God, me again. Hey God, Beth here. Elizabeth Gilbert in her book Eat, Pray, Love initially struggled with this whole issue as well. I could just as easily use the words Jehovah, Awa, Shiva, Brahma, Vishnu, or Zeus, she wrote. Alternatively, I could call God that, which is how the ancient Sanskrit scriptures say it, and which I think comes close to the all-inclusive and unspeakable entity I have sometimes experienced. But that feels impersonal to me, she continued, a thing, not a being, and I cannot myself pray to a that. I need a proper name in order to to fully sense A personal attendance. For the same reason I do not address my prayers to the universe, the great void, the force, the supreme self, the whole, the creator, the light, the higher power, or even the most poetic manifestation of God's name taken I believe from the Gnostic Gospels, the shadow of the turning. These are all equally adequate and inadequate descriptions of the indescribable," she concluded. But we need a functional name for this indescribability, and God is the name that feels the most warm to me, so that's what I use. God worked for Gilbert, but as I continued to deliberate on it, I came to realize that the name God worked well enough for me only if I thought of it in terms of God with a small g, which seemed to better capture the infinite nature of the whole God being or God thing. So that felt better to me, God with a small g, hear my prayer. But when I applied the word God, uh, the word small to God's name and began to think in terms of size, it occurred to me that maybe I could simply call the being that I prayed to big, because any force worth praying to certainly would be big, right? Big with a capital B. Oh my goodness. Maybe here would be a good place to tell you of my experience giving the invocation for the Muncie City Council meeting when I was on my internship at the Muncie UU Church in Indiana. One of the members of our church was a city council member, and It was at her urging that I was invited to give the opening prayer one Monday night. As you might imagine from what I have said so far this morning, I gave a lot of thought as to just how I would begin my prayer before the City Council. A lot of thought. Then when the time came when I had been introduced, when the Council Chambers was hushed and quiet with expectation, I stepped up to the podium and began my prayer with the following words. I said, Father, Mother, God, Allah, Wind, Moon, Adonai, Vishnu, Spirit of Life who goes by many names but is too big for any name. With that beginning, I hope that perhaps I had caught their attention enough. (laughs) For them to hear the body of my prayer to which I'd also given ample consideration. When I was invited to present the opening prayer at the Tennessee State Senate a year or two after I arrived here, I shortened my opening a bit, praying to the spirit of life and love and compassion who goes by many names but is too big for any name. I was afraid Tennessee wouldn't tolerate my lengthy Muncie prayer opening, (laughs) but I digress. After grappling with my new names for that van which nothing greater can be conceived, as Pascal referred to it, I decided I liked small g and big, and that when I needed to call in the big guns in my personal prayer life, I would use one of those two names. But as neither of those names would be understood or appreciated in the hospital setting, I finally settled on Holy God to begin my prayers and, in the name of all that is holy, to end them. And that seemed to work well enough for the traditional conservative Christians who asked me for prayer in the hospital. And let me say that those prayers, which I articulated in all of my discomfort and which were distinctly outside the realm of my own belief system, held a far, far deeper meaning for me than I would have ever guessed. I I, I found that I felt I was part of something larger as I tried to voice their concerns to their God. I felt very intimately connected, not to their God, but to them to humanity, to the human condition, to all those throughout time and place who have ever cried out in fear and pain and desolation, who have ever begged for order amidst the chaos of their lives, who have ever longed for an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving being to take away the hurt. This all felt very sacred to me, this sense of human connection and shared human experience. Such is the core of my spiritual belief as a humanist, this power to be found within the intimate connections of the shared human condition. And so praying with them in this way, although not meaningful to me in the same way I am supposing it was them, still was quite meaningful. The second issue how to deal with those in real crisis for whom prayer carried no meaning was far more challenging than the first. It only happened a few times, and the last was the most wrenching. It was a fringe Unitarian Universalist family. That is, they did not attend church, but the church they chose not to attend was a Unitarian Universalist (laughs) church. (laughs) And the people they wanted to call on at this time of tragedy and heartbreak were the Unitarian Universalists. Having spent the summer trying to become comfortable praying with others, I found that I wished I had prayer to fall back on in dealing with this family, so in grief at the looming prospect of removing life support from their teenage daughter. I spent several hours with them over the course of a couple of days, and at one point I said just that to the mother. I said that there were just no words I could say, the truth of which lay raw and real between us, and the omission of which probably constituted the most authentic prayer I had uttered all summer, though I had invoked no greater source than naked human connection. I did then come up with some words that seemed meaningful to her and her family. I talked about the the book Tuesdays with Maury. I talked about that book's story about the little wave that fears crashing into the shore until it learns it is not just a wave but part of the ocean. I told them that the water of the river continually flows on, yet the river ever remains. I quoted Annie Forrester, who said, As far as our love flows, we are no farther one from another. I told them that though we may move at different times, we all travel the same vast journey. These kinds of sentiments, these kinds of thoughts, are how I believe you use tend to pray. While some of us may think in terms of God, and those of us who do undoubtedly call upon God in times of grief, or fear, or gratitude, in general Unitarian Universalists think less succinctly in terms of the infinite. When we think about the possibility of God, or the great mystery, or the sacred source, when we think about the possibility of some supreme being, or higher intelligence, or guiding energy, We think less about what that being or force might be and more about how it might manifest in the world. And not in some future other world, but in the present existing world. We think about the gifts and cycles of nature exalting in its power and elegance. We think about the magnificence of art, music, poetry, dance. We think about the human condition, about joy and despair, ecstasy and affection, and how we might meet upon the common path we travel. We don't so often think in terms of prayer, but we pray when we are mindful of all that we have, all that we are, all that we might be, both personally and communally, as well as all that we have lost and stand to lose by virtue of simply being alive. We pray when we behold the power of a mighty lightning bolt or the fragile flickering of a firefly and are momentarily suspended in awe and wonder. We pray whenever we are transported beyond ourselves by vision, emotion, or experience and are altered, however grandly or minutely, by the event or the encounter. Emerson defined prayer as the contemplation of the facts of life from the highest point of view. It is the soliloquy of a beholding and jubilant soul. That is a beautiful definition, though incomplete. It confines prayer both to the highest point of view and to the jubilant soul, when in fact, prayer can occur in any state of intellect or emotion. Perhaps no prayer is more powerful than that which occurs when one weary soul, far from jubilant, reaches out to another and is comforted, or when a gentle breeze drives the sweat from our brow and we are eased, or when we are moved from our sadness by a poem or a song or a flower or a touch. Perhaps none is more powerful than that which brings budding hope to a despairing heart. And the contemplation need not be of the highest order either. Sometimes it occurs in an almost missed moment of appreciation, a barely noticed moment of gratitude and ever so briefly recognized delight. Sometimes it is an accumulation of moments in which we gradually become aware that life has been good of late, or that we have successfully endured the most recent trials and we sense the presence of a brooding but benevolent universe. Our response may be dynamic and transformative, substantially altering our spiritual and maybe even our practical lives, but more often it is subdued or so common that we are not even aware of it. Perhaps a brief tip of the hat, in respect or reverence or thanksgiving, a measure of gratitude whispered soft and easy as a sigh, or a simple exclamation, wow, oh yeah, thank you. Amen.